Just so you know, I've uh, given you an outline in your bulletin for this morning's sermon, um, and with some verses there as well, and um, you can feel free to write down the references that I give, but I, I've said this every week, but don't try to keep up with me by turning in your Bibles, because you will lose track of where I'm headed. So let me pray for us. Father, as we look to your word now, we ask that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to receive your word. I pray, Lord, where I lack clarity, you by your spirit would make clear. And I pray, Lord, that we would have a deeper desire and a deeper commitment to you and to one another from your word this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Christians can think it's fine to attend a church indefinitely without joining. Christians can think it's okay to get baptized apart from joining a church. Christians can take the Lord's Supper without joining a church. Christians assume they can make a perpetual habit of being absent from the church's gathering a few Sundays a month or more. Studies show that the average church attendee goes twice a month. Christians make major life decisions, moving, accepting a promotion, choosing a spouse, etc., without considering the effects of those decisions on the family of relationships in the church or without consulting the wisdom of the church's pastor and pastors and other members. Christians buy homes or rent apartments with scant regard for how factors such as distance and cost will affect their abilities to serve their church. Christians don't realize that they are partly responsible for both the spiritual welfare and the physical livelihood of other members of their church, even members they haven't met. That is from Jonathan Lehman's book called Church Membership. He's listed off all of these things that I think, and he is right, are a symptom of a major problem in a great majority of churches across North America. These things that I've just listed tell me that there's something off in our thinking as Christians when it comes to the church and what it means to be a part of a church, what it means to be a member of a church. The church, for many Christians, has become more of a social club or an association to be a part of where they might see it as helpful to their Christian life, a specific tool, so to speak, in the toolbox, an add-on to their Christian life, a benefit to their Christian life, but not as central to their Christian life. They don't view the church as Jesus does, where Jesus said that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He is committed to his church. And there are possibly many reasons for this in our North American culture. The rise of individualism. My faith is my faith and it's me, Jesus, and, and that's about it. The personalized privatization of faith. Also, I, I think, it's poor biblical teaching. There are many churches that have never been taught well on what 
it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. What it means to be a part of a local church. I began this series with the example of many Christians who will choose a church based upon whether or not they have a great youth group, but they never tend to ask the question, does this church practice biblical church discipline? There may be a handful of other reasons for why this is. Our consumeristic culture, the church is there for me to consume. Now, I don't want to spend time giving all the reasons for why this might be, but what I want to do is rather give a solution to these problems. This mindset towards the local church, this mindset that, that the church is simply a social club and I can sometimes come in and sometimes go out and, and be a part of it sometimes but not really commit, I believe is a major problem. Because the local church is the primary means that Christ has established for the flourishing of his people. The word of God tells us that being committed and devoted to your local church is the central aspect of the Christian life. And I believe the solution to this problem is having a biblical understanding of meaningful church membership. What does it actually mean to be a member of a church? Mark Dever states this, I'm convinced that getting this concept of membership right is a key step in revitalizing our churches, evangelizing our nation, furthering the cause of Christ around the world, and so bringing glory to God. Church membership? Yeah, church membership. So this morning we're looking at the sixth mark of a Christ-honoring church, which is a biblical understanding and commitment to meaningful church membership. And that word meaningful is important because there is church membership that isn't meaningful. Now, before we can understand church membership, we first need to understand what a church is. So first, what is a church? Well, as I mentioned earlier, many people tend to view the church as a social club or a voluntary association. And this probably explains why a lot of people misunderstand what church membership is or the role that the local church should play in their lives. So here's, here's a basic definition of a church. This is Mark Dever's definition with my own tweaking, okay? A church is a local collection of people devoted to the lordship of Christ and devoted to one another to regularly assemble and have Christ's word preached and obeyed, including Christ's commandments to baptize and to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So let, let's break this definition down. First, the church is a local collection of people. That means that you can't be a part of Royal York Baptist Church if you live in British Columbia. Now, you can be a part of another local church in British Columbia, but you can't be a part of a church that's across the world. You are a part of the universal church, but those aren't your local churches. It's a local collection of people. That's important. The church is its members. It's not a building. So if, if we were to leave this building, this would not be a church. 
If we were not gathering here in this building, this building would not be a church. The church is the local gathering of the people, the local collection of the people. You can't have a hockey team if you don't have players on your team. So it's a local collection of people. Not only that, this local collection of people is devoted to the Lordship of Christ and one another. In other words, a church is made up of individuals who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and they're devoted to his Lordship, but they're also devoted to one another. And this is important because there's a lot of Christians who think they're devoted to Jesus, but they're not devoted to his people, the church. Not only that, we see the activities that the church participates in this definition. They're a local collection of people devoted to the Lordship of Christ and one another, and they are devoted to regularly assemble. They meet together regularly. Now, every church is different. Some churches have a Sunday morning, Sunday evening service, a a midweek service. They might have other discipleship programs, small uh, small groups. But every church is committed to regularly assemble, to gather as the people. You are not the church as an individual. You are the church when you gather with your people. Not only that, they are devoted to the word being preached and obeyed. Preached and obeyed. Now that word obeyed is important because it basically lays down for us that everything in the word of God, the church of Jesus Christ, is to obey. They're committed to the word being preached and obeyed to baptize and to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now I'm not going to go through all of scripture showing where I got that definition from, but I'll give you one example that captures the majority of that definition. In Acts 2, 42 to 47, Peter has preached to this crowd, they've come to faith, and this is what we read about the church in Jerusalem in verse 42. And they, that is these Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the word. Christ's word, and the fellowship to one another, to the breaking of bread. There's, there's contention on whether that's just referring to having a meal together or actually the Lord's Supper and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, They were regularly gathering, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So that, in a sense, captures what a local church is. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to fellowship, to one another. They're devoted to the Lord's Supper. They're devoted to prayers. They they meet day by day. There are several metaphors in the New Testament that describes the church. And and each metaphor describes, in a sense, the different aspect of the nature of the church. So, for example, one metaphor is the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Well, what what does that convey? Well, it conveys this, that we're mutually dependent, yet have different roles. 
As I read from 1 Corinthians 12, the eye cannot say to the hand, he doesn't need him. We are mutually dependent, yet we all have different roles in the life of the church. Another metaphor is that we are the bride of Christ. What does that demonstrate? Well, that demonstrates our union and our intimacy with Christ. He is our husband. Not only that, we have the metaphor of a temple. The church, the people of God, are the temple of the living God. What does that mean? What does that convey about the church? It conveys that God dwells in the midst of his people, and we are fundamentally a people of worship. Because the temple was the place in which Israel worshipped. We are also described, the church is also described as a, a family or a household. That conveys our relational intimacy, our shared identity. We are also described as the vine and the branch. That reveals the church's dependence on Jesus and his word for its life. We need Christ and his word for life. All of these metaphors describe in some way what a church should be. And we need to strive as a local church to be all of these things. So that's what a church is. Secondly, what is church membership? Well, in the most basic understanding of what membership is, it's this. Church membership is receiving your passport. It's receiving your passport. It's the way in which the church affirms that you as an individual are a citizen of Christ's kingdom. See, the church doesn't make you a citizen. Christ makes you a citizen when he saves you. But the church is the means by God which you are affirmed as one of his citizens. Dever says this, membership is the church's corporate affirmation or endorsement of a person's salvation. So Jonathan Lehman, he, he puts it like this. The church body, so Royal York Baptist Church, those of you who are members here, when an individual comes in and wants to become a member, you, based upon the recommendation of the elders affirming that, that, that this person has become a Christian, has been baptized, has been born again, the church body says to the individual, we recognize your profession of faith, baptism, and discipleship to Christ as valid. Therefore, we publicly affirm and acknowledge you as belonging to Christ and the oversight of our fellowship. The individual says to the church body, insofar as I recognize you as a faithful gospel-declaring church, I submit my presence and my discipleship to your love and oversight. See, in the New Testament, the church has been given instruction on how to formally remove someone from its membership based upon unrepentant sin. Matthew 18 demonstrates this, and, and I'm not going to go there because we're going to look at that next week. If the church can formally remove someone from its membership, it means they had to have formally included someone into their membership. You see, simply attending a church doesn't mean you're a member of that local church. Here's why. There's people who aren't Christians, yet they attend church. The local church, if you want a, a really good metaphor to describe the local church, 
to describe, it would be best to describe the local church as an embassy. An embassy. Christ has a kingdom, but his kingdom is not of this world. And yet we're described as citizens of his kingdom, yet we are in a foreign land. And the local church is the embassy of his kingdom on earth. That means that every local church that is faithful to Jesus Christ, that is preaching the word of God throughout the world, is in a sense a small embassy of Christ's kingdom. And part of the responsibility of an embassy is to affirm who are actually citizens of their nation. Right? So if, if you're a citizen of Canada, but you're working in another country, and let's say your passport expires, what do you do? You go to the embassy of Canada in that other country, and you have them produce a passport for you. Now, the embassy is not making you a citizen. The embassy is affirming your citizenship. See, the embassies don't create people's citizenships, but they affirm people's citizenships. The church has been given the responsibility of affirming who actually is a member of Christ's kingdom. This is what we would call the formal process of membership. And every local church can do this formal process differently. But the church has been given a responsibility from Jesus Christ to affirm someone's membership within his church or to disaffirm someone's membership within Christ's church. And of course, the church sometimes makes mistakes in this regard. We're finite creatures, but that doesn't nullify the responsibility the church has been given. So that's what church membership is. So thirdly, who can be a member of a church? Well, I think the answer is pretty clear based upon what I just said. Born-again, baptized Christians. Born-again, baptized Christians. In Acts 2.41, Peter's preached this incredible message. People have come to faith, and this is what we read. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Added to what? added to the church in Jerusalem. The process is this. They received the word, repentance and faith. They were baptized. Then they were added to the church in Jerusalem. They became a part of the church. They placed themselves under the authority of the church in Jerusalem. One must be a baptized Christian in order to become a member of a church. And this is why there is usually a formal process on becoming a member of a church because the church has been given a responsibility to only admit into its membership followers of Jesus. As Dever states, though all are welcome to attend, the New Testament teaches that the church in its purpose and membership is for believers, for those to whom to who God's Holy Spirit has given the new birth and who join together in a covenantal community. All are welcome to attend our gatherings, but to actually formally join the church, you must be a baptized, born-again Christian. Now you might say, that's so exclusive. And I would say to you, you're right. And the reason it's exclusive is because of what the church is supposed to be. 
The church is to represent Christ on earth, which means the church has a responsibility to only admit into its fellowship those who actually represent Jesus. It's exclusive in that you must be a baptized, born-again Christian, but it's inclusive in that it's for any person who has repented of their sins and trusted in Christ and has been baptized regardless of ethnicity, regardless of sex, regardless of age, regardless of economic status, regardless of intellectual ability. The church is for every person who repents and believes upon Jesus Christ. So who can become a member of a church? Born again, baptized Christians. Number four. Why should you become a member of a church? I think I have five reasons. There's probably more, but I have five for this morning. First, Jesus demands it. He demands it. He is the head of his church. He is the head of every local church. And any person that dares to claim his name must identify and commit to his people those whom he died for. See, the the notion that you can be a born-again follower of Jesus Christ and not commit yourself to a local church, which he's established as the means for your growth is utterly foreign to the New Testament. I've heard people say, I'm a part of the universal church, but I don't need to join a local church. The problem with that is, there's only a few passages in the New Testament that seem to refer to the church universally, but the overwhelming majority of references to the church in the New Testament are to a tangible, living, local, and loving group of people who are devoted to Jesus Christ and each other. The majority of the commands in the New Testament are given within the context of a local church setting. Meaning, it's impossible, hear this, it is impossible to fulfill the majority of Christ's commands apart from being a member of a local church. For example, how does a Christian who claims to be a part of the universal church but doesn't need the local church fulfill this command in Hebrews 10, 24 to 25? And let us consider how to stir one another to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How can someone who says, I'm a part of the universal church, but I don't need to be a part of the local church. How can that person actually stir up love for one another and not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another? How can they do that? They can't. See, your being a part of the local church is actually what recognizes you as being a part of the universal church. Being a part of the local church is the demonstration that you are a part of the universal church. See, it's it's the manifestation. To be in the local church is the manifestation that you are a part of the universal church. So, you need to join a local church 
One, because Jesus commands his people to be a part of his church. You can't be his people if you're not a part of his church. Second reason, to have a greater assurance of your own salvation. How many in this room at times struggle with assurance of salvation? Show your hands. Several of us. There are seasons in our lives where we doubt that we are actually saved. And one of the beautiful things about being a part of a local church is a continual affirmation from your church that you've been saved. The church can be wrong about this because we're finite, but when a church affirms you as a member and continually allows you to participate in the Lord's Supper, the local church is continuing to affirm based upon the evidence they have that you're a true Christian. That's why when a church disciplines someone within their congregation for unrepentant sin and removes them from the membership, the church is declaring that we can no longer affirm based upon the evidence that you are a Christian. You might be, but we can't affirm it anymore. See, the church provides a level of assurance in our Christian walk. Third reason to join a church, to become a member of a church. The church provides accountability. The Christian path was never meant to be walked alone. I've never met a person who identifies as a Christian, yet isn't all that connected to a church, where I would conclude this is a godly, mature Christian. I've never met a Christian who is not committed to his church, who is a godly, mature Christian. They might think they are, they might say they are. See, the godliest, most mature Christians I've ever met are always people who are deeply committed to their local church. See, the church is meant to play the primary role in your sanctification, your growing in godliness. For one, when you become a member, you place yourself under the authority and leadership of hopefully godly, worthy elders who are called to shepherd and watch over your soul. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders, that is your elders, and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I mean, how how am I supposed to know who I'm responsible to watch over if there's no such thing as actually joining, becoming a part of a fellowship, placing yourself under the authority and leadership of a church? Am I responsible for the person that, that shows up here once every two months? I think I'm responsible to evangelize them, to call them to repentance and faith, but I'm not responsible to shepherd them. I'm responsible to the people here at Royal York who have said to me, I want you to be my pastor. I want you to shepherd me and care for my soul. But it's not just the elders of a church that are responsible to care for your soul. It's the church as a whole. Hebrews 3.13, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So so the church, all of you, have a responsibility 
to exhort one another, to hold each other accountable. If you are a member here of Royal York Baptist Church, you have a responsibility to care and hold accountable the other members of Royal York Baptist Church, whether you're close with them or not. The Christian life can't be lived in isolation. It's a communal faith that requires fellow soldiers to help you along the way. The Christian life can only be fully realized in relationship to others. Fourth reason for why you ought to become a member of a local church, to edify the church. See, the Christian life isn't about just you and Jesus. God's intention is for every Christian to have a role in seeing other Christians built up in their faith. And being a member of a church isn't about you being a pampered consumer. It's about you being a servant who is in the business of seeing other members reach their full maturity in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is addressing the the issue of the gifts of the Spirit. The Corinthian church was obsessed with the gifts of the Spirit, specifically the, the manifestation gifts, so to speak. And he confronts them. He doesn't confront them for practicing the gifts. He confronts them for being more excited about the manifestation of the gifts rather than using the gifts to build up one another. And so he says this in 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Strive to excel in building up the church. Does that sentence describe you? Strive to excel, excel in building up the church. Each of us have a responsibility to use the gifts God has given us to build up the church, those who have covenanted with you as members here at Royal York Baptist Church. How are you seeking to build up your brothers and sisters? Maybe instead of evaluating your godliness purely based upon how much you do private devotions, it might be better to also evaluate your own godliness based upon how you're seeking to build up your church family. Fifth reason to join a local church to advance the gospel into the world. If you have a heart to see the gospel advance in the world, the first thing you need to do is be committed to a local church that's faithful to God's word. Christ has established that the advance of the gospel, the advance of his kingdom, is through the local church. Paul and Barnabas were sent out from the local church. I have met so many, so many Christians who are passionate about missions yet have very little commitment to the church. You cannot understand nor be committed to the mission of God apart from the local church. And it concerns me when I hear so many, especially young people, who are, I want to advance the gospel in these countries, and then when I look at their lives, they have very little commitment to the church. And I want you to know that that as one of your pastors here, 
We will never support anyone going overseas to the mission field if they are not committed to the local church. They must be committed to what Christ has established as the means to accomplish his purposes in this world. So these are some of the reasons to become a member of a church. Number five, what are the responsibilities of the members of a local church? Well, it's really simple. The responsibilities of the members of a church are the responsibilities of a Christian. There are a ton of responsibilities for Christians. Basically, if we listed off all the commands in the New Testament. Now, what I want to do is give you a summary of the responsibilities that every member, every Christian is called to. I've given you three responsibilities that I think capture, in some sense, the totality of what a Christian, what a member of a local church is called to. The first task, the first responsibility of a member of a local church is this. You need to devote yourself to the official gatherings of your church. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Not neglecting to meet together. There's so many reasons, especially living in the city like Toronto, to neglect meeting together. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Does, Does that word, devoted, describe you when it comes to your local church? Your commitment to being present with the church gather with the church gathering is a ministry in and of itself your simply being here is a ministry in and of itself tim challies wrote an article called the ministry of presence and he actually referenced many of you but this is what he said the local church doesn't need people of outsized talents or rare abilities as much as it needs normal people with full-out commitment. Your church and my church can thrive only when there is a dedicated core who make it their mission to be there, to make their main ministry the ministry of presence. I hear a lot of Christians say, how, how, how am I going to serve in this church? And and. and One of the simplest answers is this. Be there. Be there with your people. You know, I often wonder if the persecuted church, Christians in other parts of the world who are under fierce persecution, I often wonder if they understand this better than we do in North America. They know what it's like to gather and to be with their people, even when, at any moment, they could face severe persecution. They gather in secret, they gather in their homes, they gather in caves, they gather in church buildings. 
But at any moment, the government could come in and shut down what they are doing. And I feel as though they get that local gathering, that assembling together. They value it and treasure it in a way that my heart doesn't. Not that I would ever pray for persecution, but sometimes I wonder that we would only truly value the local church and treasure it the way we ought if there was truly persecution happening. You know, we live in a culture where convenience is an idol. Right? We, we want everything convenient, simple, easy, not complicated. And so we, we think of church and we think about how sometimes it can be difficult. It disrupts your weekly schedule, gathering with the saints. It, it messes up your kids' schedules. It, you're tired after a long day of work. And I'm not saying that there aren't legitimate reasons to not be at church. But I wonder if we think more about reasons to not go rather than reasons to go. You know, I think of Wednesday night prayer meeting that we have, and, and I realize that not all of us can be there because of our schedules, but, but I know that in my heart of hearts, there are weeks where I'm like, man, I'd rather just stay home tonight. I'm tired. It's been a long day. I had to meet with this person, and, and it's just a tiring day. And, and there's, nothing, there's nothing flashy about our prayer meetings. We sing, usually off-key, I love you all, but you ever notice that it's always people who sing off key that sing the loudest in our church? <laughs> we sing, we, we, we do a short little Bible study, nothing profound, nothing, you know, you're not going to walk out of there going, wow. We take prayer requests, we share praise items, we, we pray for specific things for our kids, we pray for specific members on a rotating basis, we pray for different churches in our city, we pray for the government, we, we pray for the pregnancy care center, we pray for a nation, we pray for a different, a bunch of different things. There's nothing profound about our prayer meetings. But if you ponder what you're doing when you gather on a Wednesday night to pray with your other brothers and sisters. It's incredible. You are coming with your brothers and sisters before the God of creation and your prayers in some providential, mysterious way are altering history. I can't explain that to you. I don't understand how it works, but God has invited us to gather as his people, to lay our requests before him, to petition him to act. And every Wednesday night, we get to do that as a church. See, being devoted, committed to your local church ought to also impact your decision-making when it comes to, for example, your career and possible promotions. I, I know many Christians who were walking with the Lord, serving the Lord, faithful, they were part of their local church, they got a career promotion, which kept them from being able to come to church. Maybe once a month they would be there. And over time, you saw them drift away 
from the Lord. It happens so often. Friends, it's not that you can't have a great career and, and, and it's not that you can't take that promotion, but at least consider the impact that it will have in your life in regards to what it means to be a faithful Christian. Seek counsel from other brothers and sisters. Seek counsel from your pastors. Sometimes it means saying no to the promotion in order to be faithful to your church. On, on, on the day when we stand before God and we enter into the new creation, I don't think, and we're, and we're gathered with the church universal, universal, beholding Christ, I don't think any of us are going to wish or think, man, I wish I had taken that job promotion instead of being committed to my church. But I do think that there will be times in our lives where we will take those promotions and we shouldn't have, and on that day, we will look back and go, Look at the time I wasted. And I'm not saying that we don't need money and I'm not saying that we don't need to pay the bills and I'm not saying any of those things. But the church in your life is actually more important than your career. You know, if your children regularly ask you are we going to church this Sunday? It might demonstrate just how little you're committed to the body of Christ. Your kids should never have to ask that question because they know unless someone's sick, unless we're on vacation, we're going to our local church. So, first responsibility. Be committed to gathering with the people of God. Second responsibility of a member, financially. God has called his people not just to worship him with their time, their lives, but also with the resources he's given to them. Proverbs 3.9 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Romans 12, 13, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. We, as the members of a local church, are called upon to give to the ministry of the local church. And I'm not here talking about prosperity gospel preaching. I drive a Chevy Cruze. But this is why in our bulletins and sometimes from the front, we make clear that if you're visiting with us, if you're a guest, we don't want you to feel any obligation to give financially. If you're a guest with us here this morning, we don't want you to feel any obligation to give. If you give, then Lord bless you. But, but we don't want you to feel any obligation. Why? Because that's not your responsibility. It's the responsibility of the members of Royal York Baptist Church to give towards the ministry of this church. We each have a responsibility to do that. Before the Lord, I want you to answer this question, brothers and sisters. Does the way you use your money, money demonstrate that you treasure Christ's kingdom or the kingdom of this world? We are, as members, to give 
willingly and joyfully to the Lord. Third responsibility, and this third responsibility, in a sense, captures all of the commands of the New Testament. This third responsibility is this, love one another. 1 Peter 1, 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Throughout the scriptures, we are called as the people of God, as a local church, to love one another. And everything that I'm about to say, in a sense, fits under the umbrella of loving one another. Here are all many of the other things that we are called to do as members of a local church. Seek peace and unity with each other. Care for one another, both physically and spiritually. Watch over one another. Honor one another. Practice hospitality toward one another. There are many ways in which we can practice hospitality as Christians. But one of the primary ways we do that is by having people in our homes. And I want to challenge you this morning. If you are a Christian and you have a place to live, you should in some way or another be having members of your church into your home. If you're waiting for the giant home to be able to host people, you're never going to do it. We live in Toronto. (laughs) Open your home to others. Invest in other people's lives by having them in your home. Also, we're called to edify one another. We're called to bear each other's burdens. We're called to pray for one another. We're called to weep with those who weep. We're called to rejoice with those who rejoice. And you know what? I think it's harder to rejoice with those who rejoice than it is to weep with those who weep. You know why? Because if someone for example, is 35 years old and she's a single woman and there's a 22-year-old sister in the Lord who's about to have her wedding, she has to learn to rejoice in the fact that her 22-year-old sister is going to be married even though God, for some reason in his providence, hasn't provided a husband for her. You need to rejoice when a married couple is having a very difficult time trying to have kids, and yet another couple in the church family gets pregnant right away. You need to rejoice in their rejoicing, even though you're going through this struggle. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Contend together for the gospel. We saw that all throughout the book of Philippians. Forgive one another. Respect and obey your leaders that are among you. In, in my notes, I had over 60 scripture references relating to how we're called to love one another. See, the overwhelming majority of the commands in the New Testament are primarily related to your devotion and commitment to the brothers and sisters that make up your local church. The primary way to be faithful to Jesus Christ is to be faithful to his people. Committed to Christ, committed to his people. If you're not committed to the bride of Christ, you are probably not all that committed to him. 
Your relationship to other believers is an indicator of your relationship to God. 1 John 4, 20-21 says this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, that is his Christian brother or sister, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so when I meet a Christian who says, I'm a part, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but I'm not committed. I don't, I don't care about being a part of a local church. I don't need a local church. I will have no issue saying to him, you are a liar. You cannot love God and not love his people. You cannot be committed to God and not be committed to his people. Christ has given us the example of what it means to be committed to the church of Jesus Christ. He died for his church. He shed his blood for his people. He's devoted to the church. He's patient with the church. He forgives the church. He sanctifies the church. He will accomplish his work for the church because he loves the church. If Christ is as devoted as he is, to the church, we ought to be as well. And if you're a Christian here this morning, but you're, you're not a member of any church, I want to exhort you, as a fellow brother in Christ, you need to become one. And I'm not saying don't take your time. I'm not, I'm not saying any of those things. You need to, to weigh what, what you're going to do. But you need to become a member of a local church if you're a Christian. You need to commit yourself to a church. I'm not saying you have to become a member here, though we would love for you to become a member here. But I am saying find a, a Bible-believing church and join it and commit yourself to it. See, if you're a Christian and you plan on attending Royal York Baptist Church and never joining it, I want you to know that I will make your life difficult. (laughs) And it's not because I don't love you. It's precisely because I do love you. I believe it's so important for your soul not just to be attending a church, but to be a part of it. And if you're a member here at Royal York Baptist Church, but you've not been taking your membership all that seriously. I want to encourage you this morning before the Lord to recommit yourself to him and to his people because he's committed to you and he's committed to his people. Let's pray. Father, I think every single one of us, including myself, can say, Lord, help us. Help us to love one another more, to sacrifice more, to die to self more for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of his church. Help us, Lord, to bear one another's burdens, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep. We know that love is sacrificial in its nature and we know that truly being committed means it's going to cost us. Help us to count the costs for the sake of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.